So after a wonderful two-week break um, with David and, and uh, Jeremiah preaching so well, we are going to have uh, another look at John 17. I'm doing a series, kind of a mini-series on John 17. And, and there's so many blessings in John 17, aren't there? I think of the fact, and it's just to remind you that um, in John 17, there's a wave of favor, a tidal wave of favor, because Jesus, it's Jesus' vision for the church. And when Jesus has a vision for something, he gets his way. Secondly, he prays to the Father, and he asks the Father to answer his prayer. And is there any way the Father is going to say no? So, tidal wave of God's tsunami, a tsunami of God's blessing, in that it's Jesus' vision, a tsunami of God's blessing, in that it's Jesus' prayer. So, we've really got a lot going for us in this passage. You know, I've done some reading and some research from this passage, and I found um, two different preachers that actually preached 40 consecutive sermons from John 17. <laughs> and there's just so, there's so much depth here. And I'm reminded that St. Augustine in the, in the early 5th century, he said about John's gospel generally that, that a child can wade in it. It's so shallow, a, a child can wade in it, but it's so deep an elephant can swim in it. And so as we look at John 17 uh, today and then probably one more time, I have just been so blessed. I'm just sharing you some of the blessings that I, I've got from meditating on this wonderful passage of Jesus' prayer to his dad. We're listening in on a very personal, intimate communication in the Holy Trinity. So the theme today and the, the verse today we want to especially highlight, which is a, which is a platform and a focus for, um, it's a theme verse, I think, for uh, this part of this prayer, is John 17, verse 17. And it's this phrase, Jesus says to the Father, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And this is a very strong word. In the, in the, in the uh, Greek, it's in the imperative mood, which is a command. And you can have a sense that Jesus really means business. He's, he's saying, you know what, I'm going to die on the cross here pretty soon, and I'm going to rise from the dead. But, Father, as a result of that, I'm, I'm doing, I'm, I just want you to know, God, Father, sanctify them. It's in the imperative move. It's a command. So it's like God the Son is commanding God the Father. And the Father's not taking it as an insult at all because he wants the same thing. He wants people to be sanctified. And he says your word, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now the word hakiadso is the word sanctify. It's a theological word. Um, that basically means to be made holy, to be set apart as special. And it has to do with, um, in, the, 
in the Old Testament, Moses set apart the Ark of the Covenant and the Ten Commandments and the, and the uh, Aaron's blossoming um, walking stick and the candelabra and other things in the holy, holiest of holies in, the, in his tabernacle there in the desert. And it says that he anointed those uh, items with oil and he sanctified them. He made them holy by his declaration. Then we see with Solomon's temple, both King David and Solomon declared and proclaimed that certain items, probably the same ones that were in the, certainly the same ones that were in Moses' tabernacle, now in, in the temple, they reaffirmed the sanctity, the holiness of those items and, and added some other items. And there was impact by God's anointed Holy Spirit declaration that these things are, are set apart as holy. And Jesus says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And I want to tell you today, God has declared something over you that is a declaration that you are sanctified. You are sanctified and made, you are made holy. You are set apart as special. You're set apart as something holy because God, God defines reality by his word. And he has said every single person within earshot of my voice that is a blood-bought, born-again, uh, faith-in-Christ believer in Jesus Christ, he has declared you to be positionally holy. Ephesians 1, Paul is, starts by praising God. He has made us holy and blameless in his sight. So he's given us the A, the 100%, the smiley face on the test, and now he's going to go back and teach us the lesson. It's a pretty good deal. And you know that I have referred to this before, that the word hagiadso in Greek, the form, there's a form of the word that's a noun that is the word saint. And I just watched a, um, a memorial service for the mom of a dear friend of mine in England um, recently. And a guy got up and just, he said, the first thing he said about her was, even though she was an amazing Christian, <laughs> he said, she was no saint. And then he began to say some of her human foibles. And I thought, you know what? You should go back and read the Bible because there's no place... Whenever the word saint is used, and it's used dozens of times in the New Testament, there's never one place where it's used to describe someone for being especially good in their behavior or, or somehow especially obedient. It's always, always and evermore a declaration of not something we do to become saints, but something that God has done in Jesus Christ by his blood and by his declaration that we are now saints by the blood of Jesus. He says it. That settles it. We're saints. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a good-looking saint today. And on the last day, when I stand before Jesus Christ, it's not going to matter one bit that I was a pastor. The only thing that matters is that I am a saint. And so I'm just thinking to myself, 
Why wait? Let's just get started. I want you to call me Saint Dan from now on. <laughs> Why wait? <laughs> Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. One second. Go ahead and put that uh, picture up of those that coffee mug. We have a lot of Christmas. I. Brenda's got, uh, I call her Brenda Joy. Her middle name is J-J-Y, but I decided a, a while ago to change it. And I, I call her Brenda Joy because she has this inner joy all the time. And so she feels compelled to start Christmas before Halloween. Because <laughs> it's inside of her. <laughs> and uh, so... We got Christmas cups going on. You'll notice one that is a not a Christmas mug. It's B. Uh, she picked it up. B for Brenda, right? So when I came home from the hospital from my motorcycle uh, crash injury, so she gives me this, brings me this coffee in this mug right there. It's a nondescript mug. It's not as fancy as the others, but I'll tell you what. It's set apart as something special. Because she says, see this B on this mug? That stands for better every day. Yeah. And she declared it. And positionally, that made that mug a saint compared to the other mugs. <laughs> set apart as something special for me. And once it's special, I'm using it every day. So it's being put into specialness mode. So you see, it's a noun, but it's also a verb. And being a saint is a noun, but God is working in you to stir you to behave more and more like a saint. Yeah. Someone say hallelujah. hallelujah. So one thing I want to notice from this verse that I just read in John 17, verse 17, is that in Jesus' vision, sanctification, being set apart as something special, it's marked by a confidence that God himself is the fully obsessed sanctifier. Jesus is saying, sanctify them. You, please, sanctify them. He's not begging God to do something he doesn't want to do, but he's aligning himself with the will of the Father and his own will as God. But he's essentially saying they cannot sanctify themselves. You're the one is the ones that needs to sanctify. I mean, you know what? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have a very, very clear obsession relative to your life. He is working sanctification in you. And he's doing a marvelous job. Anybody want to criticize the job he's doing? Now, positionally, positionally, I, I, want, to, I want to tell you guys, I've had a few rough things in my life, one most recently. But life doesn't always, it doesn't always turn out like you, you had planned. Have you discovered that? There's disappointments. There's, you get disappointed in yourself, there's regrets, 
there's mistakes, there's decisions that were made financially that you wish you wouldn't have made. You know, life, life is pretty messed up so for all of us at one time or another. I want to tell you, I want to tell you guys something. When we are relating to each other in our own messiness and each other's messiness of life, when we, when we affirm each other in our sainthood, that we are righteousified by the blood of Jesus, that we, are, that we are dearly loved children of God, when we affirm that reality, that Christianity is not first an indicative, it is a... It is a, it is a uh, subject. It's not something we do. It's someone who, something we are in our essence. And when we are fully affirmed in the, in the essence of being righteousified by Jesus Christ, when we get a hold of that and understand it and know it, I want to tell you there's nothing, there's nothing in life that can touch that. You are safe. You're safe in your sainthood. No matter what's happened to you, no matter how you're bombarded, no matter how the devil might lie to you and say, you're, you're, not, you're not matching up. You're not loved by God, clearly. You just hold on to this anchor point. My hope is built on nothing less. And Jesus Christ's blood and his righteousness. His righteousness is superimposed on you. This is freedom. This is freedom when the load is heavy. God's up to it. He's doing it. The Father and the Son are collaborating, and you are their target. My friend Kip Kendrick was a bosun mate in... uh, the Coast Guard in Astoria, he started attending our church. He got recommitted to Jesus and married and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Wonderful experience of an experience of the Holy Spirit that included speaking in tongues. And he took early retirement from the Coast Guard because of a injury. And he came to me one time and said, I'm trying to decide what to do next. And I said, I'm kind of thinking about going back to college. And I got some people that are telling me, don't go back to college. Just, uh, you know, you have, you have retirement, early retirement from the Coast Guard. Just live, you know. This one pastor said, come help me in my ministry. I said to him, I want to encourage you that you never lose by investing in yourself educationally. So he took my advice. He ended up getting a PhD in um, some area related to physical science. He became an expert in how light works. And he actually became such so intrigued and so interested in it 
that he got really, really good at it, and he ended up, I don't know what you're going to think about this, but <laughs> he ended up for several years being the head of the United States, um, the United States uh, Warfare uh, development of laser warfare. He was the, he was the top guy for several years because he was so good about how light. And one time we had a, he calls me once in a while. One time we had a conversation about light. He said, "Dan, I said I told him the only thing I know is that there's photons and there's there's uh, wave action, and I know that it's impossible for it to be both, but there, it's both both are true." He said, well, that's a start. Those are two main features. But there's so much to learn about light. And he said, in fact, the more I learn about it, the more I realize we, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> but I want to say this about what I'm going to be uh, talking about in the area of sanctification is that the, the photons and the wave action <laughs> has to do with our position as saints and the process that God is working sainthood in us. But there's a lot more. And I'm going to unpack some of that. And I want to start by sharing with you this hunger, this desire to be sanctified that, um, that's in the heart of Jesus, in the heart of the Father. By the Holy Spirit, he's put it in us too. Does anybody here not want Jesus to be at work in their lives? You prove my point. Make no mistake about it. We are aligned in our deepest heart with what he wants to do in our lives. And over the years, this has been true. And I want to, I want to mention in inter this beginning part of this talk on sanctification, how it's been viewed and understood scripturally in um, five different revivals. And some of, the, some of them I'll, I'll talk a little bit longer and some less. But since the Reformation... In the 1500s, before that, in the Roman Catholic Church, sanctification was, was just something that some special people got to do if they were especially holy in their life, then they were considered saints. Martin Luther comes on the scene and starts reading the Bible. And he said, the Pope, nothing in the Bible says that the Pope is the, is the, the head authority. The Bible is the head authority. And, and one of the things that Martin Luther said is that in the Reformation that he helped start, a revival that swept through Europe and still has ramifications today, he said, God in this Reformation isn't getting rid of the Catholic priesthood. He's just making everybody priests. And this is a big part of it. And, and he realized that the Bible talked about sanctification as a position as well as a process. And one time he had to defend himself, defend the Bible, um, at a place where they, they could have killed him. They easily could have just sentenced him to die. In fact, some of them wanted to. But... He declared that he had to be follow the Bible and conscience and not religious tradition. And he was rescued when they were trying to 
grab him and so he could kill him. And he was put hidden away at a castle in Wartburg, where he ended up being a famous place. He had to be hid away for a while, and he got depressed. You know how he handled it? He decided to spend his time in prison in the Wartburg Castle being safe from his enemies by translating the Bible into German. And he had a lifelong habit of reading the Bible through twice every year, no matter how busy he was. He read the Bible twice. He, he loved the Bible, and it helped him. It, in fact, he went from being this amazing preacher in the Reformation to be hidden away at Wartburg, and the, the, main, the main activity of his day was going out picking wild strawberries. This was God time. This is time. And here's, here's one application when we talk about being sanctified. The word has impact. The word has a supernatural impact. When we read the word small w, we experience the word large w, capital W, Jesus. And I remember Brian Johnson, this helped Luther enormously. And Brian Johnson, one of the key worship leaders at Bethel Reading, I remember him telling a story one time when he was suffering depression that the only thing that really got him through it was he would read the Bible every day until a verse jumped out and he would write it down, put it in his pocket, that was his verse for the day. And it got him through it. And I want to tell you, uh, just personally, that uh, I had this odd thing happen after my motorcycle crash in that every time I got in the car and we stopped at a stoplight or a stop sign, I started having this rush of anxiety. And uh, it, it, started, it, it started going down, it started being better. But you know what helped me? Bible verse in Hebrews 12, and it's echoed. It's an echo from um, from Numbers, I believe it is. Because the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. I think there might be God highlighted that. I don't always share the most personal stuff. It's a very personal word. I've said it hundreds of times. I I don't think I've even told Brenda this. Hundreds of times over the last few weeks. Because the Lord is my helper, I will, not be, I will not be afraid. That might be helpful for you with some kind of fear you might be facing. I'm telling you, it's a supernatural book. The, the overall... The overall thing I see in these different revivals is that there was a sincere, a sincere desire, an authentic passion to be sanctified in life, to understand it, and also to seek the word, to be like the Bereans, to search the scriptures to see if these things are true to authentically understand what does the Bible teach on it. And you know what? Each revival came up with a different thing that was emphasized. And what I want to tell you and encourage you to do is if, if some area of vitality in the Word is so alive to somebody, or to, say to yourself, don't project that 
I mean, share it as testimony, but don't project it onto other people like you have to have it, you have to have it, like I have it. Now, there's some general revelation that, we, I mean, we all want to be committed to the truths of the ethics and lifestyle of the Bible. But sometimes we think that we get a revelation on something, then if we're excited and happy about it, and if, if someone else doesn't have that just like us, then something's wrong with them. And I, I think that there's a lot of room, even as I look at these revival emphasis for, for because uh, each one of these revival emphasis I'm going to mention, uh, they continue to this day. These, they, just, they didn't spin out. They continue to this day in different parts of the, of the church. So let's, let's give each other a little room. So the positive thing about Luther's and John Calvin too, as far as that goes with the, with, the, with the Reformation, is that they really had a deep respect for the sovereignty of God. But they also, you know, there's a downside to that particular view of, of sanctification too, and that is that if it's, if it's all God, then you could be kind of passively fatalistic. Well, God's not changing me, so I might as well just go ahead and sin that I'm not changed yet. And that, that could be a downside. But just to anchor it in the Bible, that particular angle, 1 Peter 1, verse 1, Peter says, are you still with me? No one's, no one's drifting off yet. I got a little time left. To the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience. So elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit. What for? For obedience. So just because God is the one that stirs us to want to be holy doesn't mean that we shouldn't act on being stirred. And if we don't feel stirred, we better seek God as to why we're not being stirred so we can get stirred. I like what D.L. Moody writes about this. He says, the elect are the whosoever wills. The non-elect are the whosoever won'ts. Second grade, the second revival, the first great awakening revival, and primarily under John, uh, John Wesley. Whereas Luther emphasized positional righteousness through faith and then God working in us by his spirit, John Wesley emphasized the experience, the born-again experience as an event, and then sanctification as a later event that actually propelled a person into a life of perfection in his theology. And that has a, a strong point in that it really helped motivate people to try to live a holy life. But its downside is that there's a lot of guilt when a person couldn't do it or didn't do it. Like they couldn't be perfect. And I remember... Uh, Charles Spurgeon 
a great 1800, uh, 19th century British preacher. He said that someone came up to him from that, that, uh, that movement, that Wesleyan movement, and, and he, say, he said, you know what, I haven't sinned in months. I haven't sinned in months. I'm holy and entirely sanctified. Charles Spurgeon said, I couldn't help myself. I felt compelled to do it. I stepped hard on the man's toe. And you know, that man's perfection, just like that, vanished like the morning dew. Then there was a second great awakening. The second great awakening was a modified Wesleyan. He believed, Wesley believed that there was a second definite work of grace where you had such an experience of God's glory in a singular moment where you were so changed that you never sinned again. That was what he was hoping for for people anyway. And that, that movement continues to this day among Wesleyans, some Wesleyans. But... There, in the Second Great Awakening under Finney and Moody and a guy named Simpson, Simpson College in Reading is named after A.B. Simpson, had a modified Wesleyan approach that emphasized the baptism of the Holy Spirit after conversion. Only the baptism of the Holy Spirit had nothing to do with speaking in tongues under this revival. And we're talking about millions of people with, each of, it, it, with, with Martin Luther, uh, with the Reformation, millions of people still impacted to this day. And Wesleyan churches, to this day, millions, maybe not, maybe more like thousands with that particular view. But the, the idea of the holiness movement uh, in the Nazarene church and in the Christian Alliance, A.B. Simpson was a, key, uh, a key, key player there. It's highly experiential. And he implemented what's called, what's called the higher life conferences. And in the higher life conferences, you didn't go to get equipped for ministry. What you did is you got equipped to be holy. And the upside of that was that people actually experienced a great degree of holiness. I remember a guy named Wes Lancaster, my, pastor, uh, my pastor's brother, who was, uh, he was part of this inheritor of this movement. And, you know, he, he seemed so holy to me. He came down to some meetings for us years ago. He seemed so holy to me. I just felt like he just exuded the presence of Jesus. I remember at a lunch we had one time, my pastor asked his brother to pray, and, and he just says, he just paused for a long time, and he goes, thank you. That's all he said. I said, man, that guy is holy. <laughs> he just walked in the presence of sanctification of Jesus, you know. Beautiful. Well, the downside of that movement is that they didn't go. They could have gone a step further and had the gifts of the Spirit flowing. And that's what happened with the Azusa Street Revival. And the Azusa Street Revival wasn't just about speaking in tongues and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2 style. It was about holiness. Ever heard of the phrase Pentecostal holiness, holiness Pentecostal? This is part of that. And so what I was trying to say with this first major point, and I'm going to quit with this, there's 
The best is yet to come. Come back next week because I've saved the best for later. This is just an appetizer. Uh, the, the upside of it is a powerful experience of the spirit. The downside of it is that in the Pentecostal holiness, there was a tendency to be exclusive, a tendency to be legalistic. If you, you know, you must wear, I, we wear, some people wear suits and ties here, some don't. Everybody, we, we haven't emphasized that, but there are churches where you express holiness by wearing suit and tie. That's how they honor God. I don't think we should consider them as being religious or sanctimonious or anything else. I just think that, that before God, who am I to judge their motive? They're honoring God. And let's let, let's let them do that. Let's, I want to be respect. I want to be respected. I want I want the, I don't want them to tell me that because I don't wear a suit and tie that I'm not being holy. I'll get right back in their face on that in a sanctified sort of a way. It's time to quit. Let's stand up. I've given you a lot of information today about revivals and how in the historical context this wonderful experience of sanctification has been expressed. My main motive in sharing the different, rel the different revivals is that God's passion the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are obsessed with your sanctification. And they've stirred you to want it too. And as you seek the Word, as you read the Word, as you hear it preached, whatever is highlighted for you, for your own sainthood and experience, get after it with all your heart. Because it's Jesus and you partnering together. From glory to glory is changing me. Glory to glory is changing me. Jesus, thank you. We love you so much. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you that we're saints. Thank you for the huge price you paid to make us saints. Thank you that your spirit is at work to stir our sainthood into action. And our commitment to you, Lord, is to relax and enjoy the ride because it's a beautiful ride indeed in your name we pray i love you saints go in the joy of sainthood if you have a prayer need we have pastors at the altar that are happy and honored to pray for you come and get some prayer amen